Kemp and Abrams in their final face-off. Because I want to continue to keep Georgia the best state in the country to live, work, and raise our families. I look forward to leading a Georgia where everyone has the opportunity to thrive. Welcome to a special edition of Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If this is the first time you're listening to us, welcome, and be sure to subscribe to the Politically Georgia podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Well, Patricia, it was we were just coming off of minutes after the WSB-hosted debate between Kemp and Abrams just finished. There was no Shane Hazel in the mix because WSB has a polling threshold of 10%, and Shane Hazel is basically at one or two in most of the polls we've seen. Um, I'll have to say, for me, uh, I'm usually on the debate stage as part of the WSB coverage, so it's, it was kind of fun to not be involved and getting to watch it um, and actually have to report on it. So I finished up a, a f- fairly lengthy. Um, there was so much going on. It was not. There wasn't a lot of wasted. There was. I didn't hear any really wasted questions. There was. There was so much focus that I could barely. I barely had enough time to even tweet. I was sitting there furiously writing away and contacting folks from different campaigns to make sure I didn't miss something or whatever was going on because there was, there was a lot of policy in that debate. Yes. I mean, I, we were talking about this right before we went on. This was uh, no mention of Donald Trump, which we'll get into later. Totally policy-driven, no personal ad hominem attacks. I don't know what world we're living in that we have a <laughs> that we have a debate over policy over really the most important policies that voters are telling us that they care about. Those were the policies discussed at length in that WSB debate. There was no Shane Hazel interrupting and grandstanding and um, otherwise derailing everybody's momentum. And so I thought it was a really really solid debate. It's a plant. And, <laughs> yeah, really, it's a plant. <laughs> So, I mean, great debate. Thank you so much, WSB. Way to go. Yeah, and it's not because you weren't a part of the panel, Greg Bluestein. I'm absolutely <laughs> positive. <laughs> Those panels did a great job. They kept the focus on, on, the, on the issues that Georgians want to hear about, which are, you know, uh, the economy, guns, crime, abortions. The top issues that we've seen in polls, the panelists kept the, uh, the candidates focused on those issues. And we're going to talk about all of them over the next few minutes. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Okay, one of the biggest moments, Patricia, um, was a moment that we've talked about on the campaign trail plenty. We've talked about on this podcast plenty. 
and is an issue that Governor Kemp addressed as well during the Atlanta Press Club debate. During that Atlanta Press Club debate, I asked him whether he'd support new limits on abortion, and he said he would not. But Richard Elliott from WSB-TV asked him a variation of that question. He asked him specifically whether he would sign new abortion limits. Here's what Governor Kemp said. Well, I'm not going to count, uh, you know, say yes or no to any specific piece of legislation without actually seeing exactly uh, what it's doing. It's not my desire to go move the needle any further uh, on this issue. We've been dealing with this issue for three years. That's where the General Assembly was. I personally don't see a need to go back, but when you're governor, you have to deal with all kind of legislative issues that are out there. So we'll look at those when the time comes. So Patricia, he, he said he personally doesn't support any new limits, but he also would not say whether or not he specifically would sign any new limits into law. We know it's a tough haul for, for any sort of legislation to pass. I mean, the, the, the 2019 law he signed, um, you know, it passed with one vote to spare in the Georgia House. But at the same time, he, you know, he, he gave us kind of a stock answer that we've heard him whenever people bring up pending legislation. He says, I won't, you know, I'm not going to take a stance on that pending legislation. At the same time, we're in the middle of a campaign where this has been a major factor in the race, and he wouldn't say whether he would sign new limits into law. Yeah, and, you know, it, there are conservatives out there and pro-life activists out there who would like to see more restrictions. And so it's not an unfair question to say, would you sign something if it were to pass the General Assembly? I understand why he didn't uh, answer the question, because you literally have no idea what that bill would look like. So you don't want to say just a blanket no to everything, because you really don't know what that would look like. However, he could have said no and chose not to. And in the past, he has said, you know, he's not looking for any more abortion restrictions. But this is the exact argument that Democrats put out there, that, de- that Republicans are not done with the abortion issue. Kim has tried to put it to bed by saying, I, I'm personally, I'm done with this. But there will be more bills that are introduced. Would they be able to pass the General Assembly? We really don't know because we don't know what that political environment will look like. And so this does feed into Democrats' argument that there will be more attempts to further restrict abortions, uh, perhaps by eliminating some of the exceptions that are in the current heartbeat bill, um, which is what Republicans call it. It's that six-week abortion ban. There Mm -hmm. There are exceptions in there for rape and incest if there's a police report filed by the girl or the woman um, who is the victim in that case. Uh, Could those go away? Could there be further restrictions to um, push the six-week ban back to a total ban? Could there be additional measures to sort of empower individual citizens to make complaints against women individually, all sorts of other things that we're seeing in other states? Yes, those bills could be introduced. Where does the governor stand on those? Um, so this is uh, this is certainly an area where Democrats have been warning that more could happen. Um, Republicans have been trying to put that to bed, but this answer didn't help the governor do that in this case. And Abrams, Stacey Abrams, quickly made note of that. This is what she said. And yet he defended Herschel Walker, saying that he didn't want to be involved in the personal life of his running mate, but he doesn't mind being involved in the personal lives and the personal medical choices of women in Georgia. What's the difference? Well, I would say it's the equipment. Is the equipment. That is Stacey Abrams linking Governor Kemp to Herschel Walker, of course, the Senate Republican hopeful who's been accused by two ex-girlfriends of pressuring them to have abortions. Now, uh, Patricia, Stacey Abrams was also pressed on whether she would oppose any restrictions on abortion. Here's what she said. 
There should not be arbitrary timelines set by men who do not understand biology. This is a law that tells women they have to make a decision about their pregnancy before they know they're pregnant. And in a state with 82 counties without an OBGYN, in a state where women are denied health care, when one out of every five women does not have access to medical insurance, it is a terribly dangerous position to put women in. So that is Stacey Abrams talking about where she stands on the issue. Governor Kemp accused her of, of, of changing her standards over the years of, um, of at first, which she did not at first initially um, take a stand on whether or not she, there should be limits on any abortions. Then she told the AJC in June and other outlets after that that she supports uh, limits when a fetus is considered viable. She noted it's a scientific standard that could evolve as science, as medicine evolves. And that, that's, that's her stance, Patricia. Yeah, and in um, in past interviews, she's also had sort of a, a parenthetical addition to that comment to say, but the even the standard of viability should be determined by the doctor. And so she has said viability is the standard, but would not put a weak limit on that. Um, so what is the limit? That is, again, something that she says should be left up to the doctor and the woman, but that, in fact, is not a limit. And Richard Elliott pointed out that Georgians in most polls would be comfortable with some limits. What those limits would be would really be up to the legislature and the governor. And so, but she didn't, she has never specified what what week that would be or even who would determine viability other than a doctor. And so without those specifications, those really aren't limits either. I do want to say she said in that answer, she was talking about men who don't understand biology. And that has been a major criticism of women who are opposed to this bill and Democrats who are opposed to this bill. And even anybody who was watching the debate in 2019 about this bill, very clear there were a lot of men talking about this bill who did not understand the basic biology of a woman or of pregnancy. It was really a debate that was really steeped in um, religious ideology, but very little biology uh, conversation or scientific detail. Um, Something that Brian Kemp said in this debate that I have never heard him say was discussing his own family's experience with miscarriage. Let's listen to that exchange. I'm a husband and I'm a father to three daughters. I have been in the doctor's office with my wife and seen two heartbeats on an ultrasound. I've gone back a week or so later and saw one heartbeat. My wife is, and, and I have both had a hard time having our first child. Uh, she miscarried. It is a tragic, tra- uh, tragic, traumatic situation. But that one heartbeat that we saw that second time we be- went back is our oldest daughter, Jarrett. And Patricia, you're right. I don't know if I've heard him go into such detail about that experience. And and it, it is his sort of counter to when Democrats, when Stacey Abrams and others say he doesn't, you know, as a man, he doesn't understand um, what it's like to go through this process. He says, I don't, but, you know, his, his wife Marty does. Yeah, or even he does. You know, he's been in the doctor's office and he's lost that baby um, in the uh, just as his wife did. And so I felt like that was a very, very effective way for him to say, not only am I not emotionally divorced from this process, I also understand what happens when a woman has a miscarriage. Obviously, he doesn't understand what happens when every woman has a miscarriage because it happens in a lot of different ways. But I think that was the first time I've ever heard um, – anyone in this debate put themselves out there emotionally from the Republican side uh, to say that they've experienced this too, but this is where they land 
on this issue. Um, so I think that was a very, very effective moment for him. However, the length of the abortion piece of this debate went on for more than uh, about 13 or 14 minutes um, out of just an hour-long debate. That was a huge chunk of this. And so this is a space, this is an area where most Georgians agree with Stacey Abrams' policy on this, that most Georgians are opposed to the six-week ban. And so I think that that was a big advantage for Abrams in this debate and that they spent so much time going back and forth on this issue. And this is territory that is what she wanted to be talking about. This is what Democrats believe is their area and how they're going to win this election. And so I think that um, the length of time was as important as what was being said in the conversation between these two. You hit the nail on the head. And, and Governor Kemp came into this debate with a lead to preserve. He's been up by five, six, seven, eight, even 10 in some recent polls. He just wanted to come out of here without a, a major gaffe, without upsetting uh, riling up his opponents. I'm not sure if he succeeded, but his campaign is confident he didn't do anything, you know, game-changing in this debate. We'll see over the next couple hours, days. But really, he came in here with a kind of, not a play-it-safe strategy, but just a don't-make-any-wave strategy, just like he did the last debate. Yeah, but you know what? He was also very, very prepared. He had a chapter and verse for every time he said Stacey Abrams was contradicting herself or contradicting herself on a previous answer. He said, well, that's not what you said on CNN. That's not what you said before. You don't want to talk about your record. So he's kind of going back to that theme over and over and over again. So I didn't feel like he was uh, laying back and trying to land some punches. I didn't hear him make any huge blunders, although somebody will certainly fact check me on Twitter <laughs> for that. Um, I did hear Stacey Abrams make one factually inaccurate point about the mental health parity bill, saying that there's no money associated with that. The legislature did spend between about, I think, 65 and $95 million in this year's budget to support that Mental Health Parity Act. But overall, I don't, I didn't hear Kemp make any major blunders, but it felt like, it just felt like this debate was in many points in Stacey Abrams' territory, that long, long, long exchange on abortion, and then another lengthy exchange on guns and gun safety. And I really was impressed that the moderators let these two just marinate in these issues instead of pushing them on to, you know, 60 seconds, next issue, 60 seconds, next issue. And, you know, these are the issues that people want to talk about. And that's what they were talking about. So I think it was very effective in that way as well. Yeah, Patricia, that is a major difference between the WSB debate and, and other debates, not just Atlanta Press Club, but others that are a little bit more rigid in the format. And it's not a, you know, it's not doesn't make it better or worse, in my view. But we definitely saw that with the Next Star debate, where they were very rigid with the format and they didn't allow any clashing. Atlanta Press Club usually allows a little clashing. WSB allows a lot of clashing. So you saw, you know, the panelists only get one, maybe two questions a piece. I've definitely been there, but I think it's fine. I like that because I, I'd rather hear from the candidates going back and forth anyway. I don't want to dwell on a topic too long. I think that, you know, you don't want to dwell on one thing for 45 minutes of debate, and we certainly didn't in this debate. But at the same time, it's nice to see the candidates go back and forth, you know, when they only have these very rare opportunities to do so. We definitely saw that in this debate. 
Yeah. Also um, got the entire thing started off with questions about the economy, which is most Georgians' top issue as well, and asking very specifically, what would you do to bring down prices? <laughs> what would you do to make this easier for people? Governor Kemp uh, talked about the gas tax that he has had suspended, talked about the tax cuts that he was able to give people. Stacey Abrams tried to say, this is a man who's only in it for him and his honcho big wig, rich guy, fat cat buddies. But I think when Kemp is able to come back and say this is an across-the-board tax cut, this is a gas tax suspension for the entire state, everybody who's listening, and I don't know how many people are listening tonight, but everybody who's listening hears that and knows that's me. I got a little bit of that. Did I get a huge windfall? No, but I got something. So, you know, I think that he's able to, on the economy, and that's why I think he pulls so well on the economy, he has really pushed forward a number of very specific, broad-based measures that do affect all Georgians. And I think that's uh, why he's uh, especially strongest in that area. He's also able to then turn around and point the finger at Joe Biden, which he certainly did, and said, you know, we'll talk about my record, but I also want to tell Georgians my entire focus in my next term will be on dealing with inflation, dealing with prices, keeping the Georgia economy strong, but trying to really put Georgians in a place where they feel comfortable planning for their own futures as well. Let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll talk more about their stances on economy, voting rights, and crime. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. We're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We're not only two of the hosts of this very special edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, we're also two of the authors of the Morning Jolt Newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And your first month of limited digital access is just 99 cents. That is subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, so you always know what's really going on. And around noon today, we'll have some major news. The final Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll of the state's top races will be out. We'll have details of the race for governor, senator, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and other key factors shaping your vote. We'll also have details on Joe Biden's approval and how Georgia voters view Donald Trump. So stay tuned for coverage, analysis, and reaction from all the campaigns. Okay, Patricia, let's pivot to the second big issue that both the candidates tackled. That was crime, public safety. Stacey Abrams bristled at Governor Kemp's reminder that he has endorsements from 107 sheriffs. 
he kind of, kind of sees that as testament to his his criminal justice policies, which divert from his predecessor, Nathan Deal, who, who pushed a, a number of criminal justice reforms that divert more low-level offenders from prison sentences. Kemp has gone a different path and has offered more crackdowns, issued more crackdowns on violent offenders, has talked a far less about reforms to keep um, low-level offenders out of prison. And when Governor Kemp brought up uh, his endorsements from law enforcement, this is what Stacey Abrams said. As I've pointed out before, I'm not a member of the good old boys club. So no, I don't have 107 sheriffs who want to be able to take black people off the streets, who want to be able to go without accountability. She quickly said after that, not every sheriff wants to take that step. But at the same time, that clip you just heard, you're, you're about, if you're a Georgia voter, you're about to hear it a lot more because Governor Kemp's campaign and his allies are about to amplify that in a major way, casting that as one of her biggest blunders in this debate. Yes. Stacey Abrams, I feel like, has been trying to find um, sweet spot on this uh, tension between public safety and criminal justice. And that answer right there, as you said, is going to get her a ton of pushback from law enforcement. Guns, of course, goes hand in hand with criminal justice policies. Stacey Abrams has been trying to make the case that Kemp's permissive gun stances, his gun policy, has eroded business reputation, eroded the state's business reputation, led to the cancellation of festivals like Music Midtown and, and could threaten other business in Georgia. This is what Governor Kemp said about that constitutional carry law. The law right now is the same as it was two years ago about who can lawfully carry a weapon or not. For Ms. Abrams to say that the legislation that we signed to let you protect your family and your businesses through your Second Amendment rights is just absolutely not true. He also made the case that other festivals have been held in Georgia. Dragon Con was one he, he specifically cited. Uh, but broad, more broadly, he said the Democratic National Convention is now... Atlanta is a front runner to land that quadrennial event. The Democratic National Committee right now is trying to land the Democratic Convention in the city of Atlanta in the state of Georgia. If things are so bad, why would that be the case? Touche, Brian Kemp, touche. <laughs> I mean, it's not the worst point in the world. However, Stacey Abrams was ready with her retort to say, hey, that's an indoor event. Music Midtown got canceled because it's an outdoor event and there was going to be no ability to limit the number of guns that came into that venue, which is also accurate. I do think, however, what Stacey Abrams said is accurate. She said that she hears from people on the campaign trail just worried about their kids, worried about their kids at school, worried about their kids at movie theaters, worried about their family safety because there are so many guns in this state. I mean, listen, there are so many guns in America. I'm not sure how different Georgia is in that count. Um, but the permitless carry bill is another bill like HB 41, the six-week abortion ban, that Georgians are broadly not in agreement with. It does not poll well for Republicans. And so for there to be a lengthy debate on permitless carry was another example of this debate just kind of being in Stacey Abrams' territory for a lengthy period of time. You don't have to look hard or far to find a suburban mom just worried sick about this situation with guns and their kids and guns in schools. Uh, there was a student murdered outside of Norcross High School last week. I mean, this is a terrible situation. Governor Kemp's defense on uh, this bill is to say, listen, nobody who was legal to carry a gun before 
is there's nothing different about who can legally carry a gun in this state. That bill did nothing to change that. That's accurate. However, Abrams also said, listen, it did change how we know who is legal because 5,000 people last year were stopped from getting a state permit because they didn't meet the requirements. If you aren't conducting a permitting process, how do you know who's legal and illegal? And so that's actually the purpose of a permitting process. Um, and so uh, this is an area I think where Abrams is going to have people who agree with her, who, again, who are listening to this debate. The question is, how many people were listening to the debate and did they not already agree with her? I'm not so sure she moved the needle, but I do think she made the case on that issue. And Patricia, you mentioned at the top of the show some other interesting tidbits. It was a breath of fresh air, as you said, um, to have a very policy-driven debate, you know, not taking personal angles. We definitely hear, heard some clashes, though, that that went back to, a, you know, that reminded us of the start of the bitter rivalry between uh, Stacey Abrams and Governor Kip over voting rights. Both these candidates said They'd accept the results of the election. Stacey Abrams has already said this many times, including at the Atlanta Press Club debate. But now she said it to a, a, a you know different audience on broadcast TV as well on WSB airwaves, saying just you know she was asked yes or no, and she said point blank yes. Governor Kemp asked the same question, said yes, and went a little deeper <laughs> into the voting rights clash between the two. But it was, uh, you know, it, it was another sign we're not going to see, no matter the results, a re- reprise of what we saw in 2018 with 10 days of sort of purgatory. Yes, I feel like they both have committed themselves to that position. And you can't take that for granted, as we know, in this country anymore. And so I do feel like Georgia is on this very unusual island of tranquility in some ways, um, that we have two candidates, two major candidates, Lots of experience saying, yes, I will accept these results. That is not the case in many states across the country right now. Also, being an island, we did not hear Donald Trump's name mentioned in that debate. And so we have Brian Kemp, who has created this sort of parallel universe for himself as a Republican in that it is a Trump-free zone for a man who has been absolutely pummeled by Donald Trump for the last two years, but he has created this situation where he has not alienated Trump voters. Donald Trump is not a part of, literally not a part of this conversation right now, but he also has not alienated anti-Trump voters to a certain extent because Donald Trump came after him. So he has this very unusual situation that he has created for himself where Donald Trump is just does not appear to be a factor in this election really at all anymore. He has tried to walk that line and he's Poll after poll after poll, we've seen uh, Governor Kemp has about 95, 96% of Republican support. So it certainly seems like the Republican civil war over Brian Kemp here in Georgia is over. And uh, we also know the down ticket candidates who uh, who incurred Trump's wrath also seem to have consolidated at least the hefty parts of their party's base. Well, we here at Politically Georgia would love to know what you think of our podcast. Please click the link in today's episode description, answer a few questions, so we'll know how to make this podcast even better for you. Thank you again so much for listening to the special edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes that come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or in this case, special episodes whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. 
I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.